Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. Now, right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in the middle of a series of sermons called Confessions of a Pastor, where I'm reflecting on some of the things that I've learned over my 13 years in ministry. And today, I want to talk with you about what I've learned about the expectations that people sometimes put on their pastors. Now, whether you realize this or not, a lot of people want to put their pastors up on a pedestal. And a lot of people expect that their pastors are going to be as close to perfect as humanly possible. But is that a realistic expectation? Well, I can tell you from my own experience that it's not. I'm far from perfect, I make mistakes, and I let people down all the time. So in this week's sermon, I want to shift your perspective a little bit and move those expectations of perfection away from the pastor and put them where they belong. So let's get right into this week's episode. So about a week and a half ago, I celebrated my 13th anniversary of becoming a pastor. And as I've spent some time reflecting on the last 13 years, I decided to share with you some of the things that I've learned along the way. So right now, we're in the middle of a series of sermons that I'm calling Confessions of a Pastor. But before I get to this week's confession, I want to start out by telling you a joke about pastors. Now, this joke has popped up in countless Facebook posts and email accounts over the years. And it's been used as a sermon illustration by more than a few pastors at some point along the way. So there's a pretty good chance that you've heard some version of this joke before. But as I reflect on my 13 years in ministry, this joke still manages to resonate with me every time that I hear it told or share it with someone else. And although it's been tweaked and modified hundreds of times over the years, this joke always manages to sound just about the same. So without any further ado, let me tell you the one about the perfect pastor. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. They condemn sin roundly, but they never hurt anyone's feelings. The perfect pastor works from 8 o'clock in the morning until midnight each day, and they also serve as a church custodian. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears nice clothes, drives a nice car, buys the right books, and donates $100 a week to the church. The perfect pastor is 29 years old and has 40 years of ministry experience. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and they spend all of their time with senior adults. The perfect pastor smiles all the time with a straight face because they have a sense of humor that keeps them seriously dedicated to the church. The perfect pastor makes 15 home visits every day, and they're always in their office to be handy whenever a church member needs them. The perfect pastor always has time for the church council and all of its committees and never misses the meeting of any church organization, and they're always out busy evangelizing the unchurched. The perfect pastor? Well, they always seem to be in the next church over. Now, I've got to tell you that I feel a little bit better telling that joke during an online service where I can't see you face-to-face, because every time that I've ever told this joke during a sermon, I've noticed at least a couple of people sitting there nodding along and getting ready to shout out, Amen! But even though these expectations are ridiculously unrealistic, just about everyone who has ever attended a church has to admit that when a new pastor comes to their church, they hope that he or she will live up to these types of expectations. But even though there is no way that any human being could actually be the perfect pastor that this joke describes, 
How would you feel if I told you that there is a way to guarantee that your church has the perfect pastor? Now, I'd guess that for some of you, your ears would perk up and that you'd want to know more. So, let me tell you more. According to the satirical Christian news site, LartNews.com, which was kind of like the Babylon Bee before there was a Babylon Bee, there is now a way for every church to have the perfect preacher. As their farcical story explains, Don Lawrence preaches three times a week to an appreciative congregation at Life Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. His sermon tapes often sell out, and this year he is leading the church through a study of the Gospel of Matthew. But Lawrence isn't a real person. He is a virtual on-screen pastor whose sermon topics, personality, even mannerisms are chosen collectively by his congregation. We've never been happier, says head elder Louis Francesca. We finally got the pastor that we've all wanted. Virtual Pastor, a UK-based company, began pioneering the virtual pastor model two years ago and has since created a dozen lifelike on-screen avatars, which preach and joke and give personal anecdotes as if they were real people. All their sermons and personal stories are scavenged from the internet. When a church subscribes to Virtual Pastor, each person in a congregation helps to shape their pastor by entering their likes and dislikes into response boxes during each week's service. This live feedback is then fed into the company servers and it helps to change the pastor's sermon topics, hairstyle, and more in the weeks to come. The result is a pastor that is perfectly tailored to the will of that congregation. It takes about 18 months for a congregation to fine-tune their pastor so that he becomes a perfect representation of what they want. And the shaping includes gestures, physical appearance, personality, hobbies, and even sense of humor. And different churches have produced widely differing results. A congregation in Huntington Beach, California, that adopted the virtual pastor model last year, found that within a few weeks their on-screen pastor stopped wearing suits and ties and he started wearing Hawaiian shirt shorts and flip-flops. We loosened him up quite a bit, says one congregant with a big laugh. Some churchgoers have been surprised by the results. A woman in Bangor, Maine, was alarmed to see that her virtual pastor turned progressively more British and tweety. He began quoting C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, speaking in a British accent and even wearing wool vests. Churches with virtual pastors say that troublemakers tend to quiet down and leave because they don't have a real person to target with their complaints anymore. People can't pin their problems on the pastor anymore, says an associate pastor who handles the day-to-day affairs and matters at a virtual pastor church in Idaho. He's their creation so they can only blame themselves. Now, just in case you didn't catch it in my disclaimer, this story about virtual pastors is completely made up. This service doesn't exist, or at least not yet, so please don't start Googling it so that you can try to find my replacement. But even though this story is completely made up, it does point to a harsh reality that every church and every pastor has to face. We all know that there's no such thing as a perfect pastor, but every church wants their pastor to be perfect. We all know that there's no such thing as a perfect pastor, but every church wants their pastor to be perfect. And sure, there aren't very many churches that would put it in those terms, 
But over the last 13 years, I've seen it play out in my life and with my colleagues in ministry. For some reason, people are just inclined to put their pastors up on a pedestal and expect us to be perfect, or at the very least, better than your average person. So I've heard stories about one of my friends in ministry slipping and falling on an icy patch in his church's parking lot one winter a few years back. And when he landed, he said a word that he probably shouldn't have said at church. So the next morning, he had a call from the chairman of the deacons cussing him out for using profanity. Now, take just a second and let the hypocrisy of that last sentence sink in. I've known other pastors who have been asked to leave their church because their congregation wasn't growing as fast as a few members expected it to. I've even had some uncomfortable conversations myself with people who've been upset when I've played Disney cartoons as a part of a sermon illustration in the past. But the way that I typically see these unrealistic expectations and these thoughts that pastors are perfect play out in my life is when I meet someone new and they discover that I'm a minister. Now, my favorite example of this happened several years ago, right after my wife Ashley and I bought our first home. Now, right after we bought our home, we knew that we needed to have some work done. So we had a few construction workers come over to do some drywall repairs for us. And the first day that they were in our house, I decided that I needed to stop by just to meet them and check up on their progress during my lunch break. So when I got to the house, I chit-chatted with these workers for a couple of minutes, and it would be an understatement to say that their language was colorful. And then one of them asked me what I do for a living. As soon as he asked, I felt bad because I knew exactly what was going to happen next. So I thought about letting these guys off of the hook and telling them that I was a public speaker or that I worked for a nonprofit, which are both technically true, but not the whole truth. So I knew I needed to be completely honest with them. And I think before I even managed to get the er sound out of my mouth and the word minister, they all went a little bit pale in their face and they started apologizing like I had caught them stealing something. So just to eliminate any doubt for you, if you turn, tuned into our service today with some delusion that, and hope that you'd find the perfect pastor here, you better keep looking because I'm far from perfect. And after 13 years in ministry, I have no problem confessing to you right now that at some point, I will let you down. At some point, I will let you down. Now, I might let you down by preaching a sermon that goes too long for your taste or by preaching a sermon that you don't think went long enough. I mean, I have had a few people complain that my sermons aren't long enough for them to get in a good nap anymore. Or I might let you down by telling a story that you find inappropriate for church, like the one about construction workers that were cussing up a storm in my living room. Or I might let you down by making too many jokes or by being too solemn when I preach. I might let you down because you think that preachers should always wear suits and ties, and clearly, I don't. Or I might let you down because you don't think that I should have a toy that's sitting over my shoulder when I preach every week. I might let you down when I don't make it to see you in the hospital before you get released. Or I might let you down when I forget to return one of your phone calls, which has been known to happen. And I might have let you down in the past when I didn't have the chance to shake your hand one Sunday morning when we were still meeting in person 
or because I forgot to say hi to you when we passed each other in the church's hallways. I may have let you down over the last couple of months because of our church's decision that we won't be resuming in-person services anytime soon, even though there are plenty of other churches who have started meeting in person and they've been doing it for weeks, if not months at this point. I might let you down on a Sunday or on a Thursday. I might let you down in the middle of the night or I might let you down first thing in the morning. And I can tell you that it won't be intentional or deliberate. But it will happen. I will let you down. So there's no reason for me to sit here this morning and pretend like it won't happen. I mean, the truth is that the Bible even tells us that it's going to happen in places like Psalm 146, which we'll read together in just a minute. But before we do that, let me remind you that the book of Psalms is kind of like the hymnal for the people of Israel. And if you don't know what a hymnal is, it's a book that contains songs and poetry that we used to use in worship when we were still meeting together in person. So, when you read the book of Psalms, you're going to find passages that were written by people all along the faith spectrum. You're going to find psalms that were written by people who were upset and angry with God. And you'll find psalms that were written by people who couldn't have been closer to God if they tried. So no matter where you are in your relationship with God today, there's a psalm written by someone who can empathize with how you're feeling right now. And the psalm that we're going to be reading today, Psalm 146, it's a psalm that praises God. But before it gets into praising God, it has a warning for us about other people. So let's take a look at Psalm 146, verse 3. Here's what it says. Don't trust leaders. Don't trust any human beings. There is no saving help with them. Now, I told you a minute ago that this verse tells you that I will let you down. But if you were really listening to this verse, then you may have noticed that it's not just me, and it's not just pastors, and it's not even just leaders that will let you down. This verse tells us that all people will let you down. And once again, the fake news site LarkNews.com helps to get this point across in another made-up article. This one's about a pastor who decided to sell his church on eBay. As this story goes, without their consent or their knowledge, a pastor in rural Montana has sold his church and congregation on eBay for $3 million. I finally got good and sick of them, says Tad Marshall, pastor for 15 years who completed this secret sale just last week. This serves them right, all of them. But many in the church are stunned by the Marshall family's sudden departure. We had such a good relationship, says Winifred Barnes. Whenever I called him up in the middle of the night to pray for my psoriasis, he was happy to help. I'm surprised that he would treat us this way. Others in the congregation expressed similar feelings. We would stop by for surprise visits every time that he had a day off, and his wife was always quick to put on a pot of coffee for us and get some refreshments, says Fred Souther. We'd sit there and we'd chat for hours. Those were such wonderful times. One woman recalls how Pastor Marshall responded to her plea that he visit her ailing mother every day during her prolonged illness at a hospital 78 miles away. I don't think he did it because we threatened to quit the church. I think he was genuinely concerned for mother, even though she was in a coma, she says. 
we would sit and he would sit with her for hours singing songs and hymns to her. I could tell that he was blessed by it. Another longtime member recalls the day that a group of women surprised the pastor's wife with an impromptu shopping trip. Now it was clear that she was unable to afford modest clothing, so we all charged right in there and threw away everything in her closet, she says. Then we bought her new ankle-length dresses with long sleeves. She cried tears of joy that day. She just kept saying over and over, I can't believe you're doing this. It was a bonding moment for all of us. Even the board, which had its share of differences with Marshall over the years, recalls him fondly. They say that he happily abided by the church's dress and grooming code, kept his sermons to 23 minutes as the board required, and even abandoned his use of the New Living Translation on Sunday mornings. Now, once he understood it was a devilish translation that twists the words of the original spoken English, he said he'd be happy to go back to using the authorized King James Version, an elder in the church says. That's the way Tad was, a real go-along guy. Friends from out of state say Marshall came to rural Montana hoping to find a friendly lifestyle where he could help good-hearted people grow closer to Christ. Instead, he found an enclave of faux Christian Pharisees who demanded that he serve their every whim, says one of his seminary buddies. One day, while selling old exercise equipment on eBay to supplement his church income, which had been docked that week by the board because a service had gone one minute too long, Marshall decided to, to rid himself of the congregation in a creative way. His eBay listing emphasized the positives of the church. This delightful country church sits on two acres of land. It comes complete with a congregation and 35 regular tithers. Sunday school wing, no mortgage, bids start at $200,000. Recent Bible college graduates bid first, hoping to gain a built-in congregation on the cheap. Then several entrepreneurs with ministerial ambitions swooped in, driving the price way up. Kevin Silver, a 39-year-old former internet company founder, won with a last-second bid. He's looking forward to leaving the spiritual corruption of the big city behind and taking helm of this rural congregation. Now, what both of these tongue-in-cheek stories make clear is that none of us are perfect. Pastors aren't perfect. The members of our churches aren't perfect. So we are all going to make mistakes. We're all going to let each other down. And we're all going to be let down by other people. So what I've learned after 13 years of ministry, and what I really want to confess to you all this morning is, my job isn't to be perfect. My job is to point you to the one who is perfect. My job isn't to be perfect. My job is to point you to the one who is perfect. And that's what the rest of Psalm 146 is all about. So let's read the rest of this psalm together and see who the only one is who will never let you down. Here's what the psalmist writes. Praise the Lord. Let my whole being praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with all my life. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. Don't trust leaders. Don't trust any human beings. There is no saving help with them. Their breath it leaves them. Then they go back to the ground. And on that very same day, their plans die too. The person whose help is the God of Jacob, the person whose hope rests on the Lord their God, is truly happy. 
God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. God, who is forever faithful, who gives justice to the people who are oppressed, who gives bread to the people who are starving, the Lord who frees prisoners, the Lord who makes the blind to see, the Lord who straightens up those who are bent low, the Lord who loves the righteous, the Lord who protects the immigrants, who helps the orphans and the widows, but who makes the way of the wicked twist and turn. The Lord will rule forever. Zion, your God, will rule from one generation to the next. Praise the Lord. So I've told you that I will let you down. But this passage makes it crystal clear that God won't. God is faithful forever. God gives justice to those who are oppressed and feeds those who are hungry. God frees the prisoners and gives sight to the blind. God straightens up those who are bent low and loves the righteous. God protects the vulnerable, like the immigrants and the orphans and the widows. God is so much greater than any one of us could ever hope to be. So I hope that when you join us for worship, that you're not just here because you like the way that I preach. I hope that you're here to worship God and to let God work in your life. Because I can tell you, I will fail you, but God never does. God never fails. God never fails, but all of us will. So don't put your faith in another person. Don't put your faith in me. Don't put your faith in another pastor. Don't put your faith in other ministers. Put your faith in God. Because every human will let you down, even if we don't want to. But God, God never will. So let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we want to start out by confessing that we are imperfect people. Every one of us makes mistakes. Every one of us messes up. And yeah, God, one of the mistakes that we make sometimes is that we want to put other people up on a pedestal. We want to treat other people like they are perfect. Sometimes we do it with our leaders in politics or in business or even inside of the church. We hold, we hold them up on a pedestal and we hope that they will be perfect. But God, they always fail. They always fail because none of us are perfect. But you are. God, you are perfect. So let each one of us put all of our faith, all of our trust, all of our hope in you and in you alone. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has challenged the expectations that you have for your pastors and that you've realized that there's no such thing as a perfect pastor, but it's not a pastor's job to be perfect. Our job is to point you to the one who is perfect, 
and that's God. Now, next week, we're going to be continuing on in the sermon series where we're going to continue to think about some of the lessons that I've learned over my 13 years in ministry. So I hope that you'll join us next Sunday when that next episode drops. And as always, if you, if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Also remember that you can come and you can join us live for worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at mhbclouisville.com slash live. You can join us there every Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I hope that you guys have a great week this week, and we will see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.